But as is my custom, I'd just like to ask that you would please, once more, bow your heads with me before we get into the Word of God. Our Lord and Savior, as we are about to open your Holy Bible, may you please draw close to us now. Father, I pray that you would hedge about this building and hedge about this room, your holy angels. May you cast out the devil, O Lord. May there be no room for him in this place. Hover over us with your Holy Spirit, and may you speak to us directly from thy word this morning. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our topic for this morning is entitled, The Thirteenth Disciple. The Thirteenth Disciple. And friends, before we open the Bible, I want to share with you something that has stuck in my mind. Ever since I began my internship to, co- to finish or complete my theology g- degree, I went to a church to preach, and that afternoon, the senior pastor of the church there in Atlanta, Georgia, he he shared a phrase with us, all the young people that were sitting there. And this phrase has forever stuck in my mind. And I want to share with you this morning. Friends, maybe you already know this, but there is no commitment without sacrifice. There is no such thing as genuine commitment if it does not involve some sort of sacrifice along the way. If you understand that, please say amen. Amen. As a bride walks down the aisle, as she looks at the man that is about to be her husband, She knows that there is sacrifice involved. And as that man is standing there, looking at his beautiful bride, walking down the aisle towards him, he knows that there is some sort of sacrifice involved. Do you agree, those that are married? And I'm sure those that are single will understand this as well. What sort of sacrifice is involved in a marriage? Now, I hope it is good a sacrifice you're thinking about. You have to sacrifice your bed. If you're single and you sleep on a double bed or a king-size bed, you're blessed. You have to sacrifice your money, right? Only one is nodding. You have to sacrifice your time. My guy friends, I'm sorry, I need to spend time with my wife. But at any stage of the marriage, do you go like this? I mean, I mean, does, is, the, is the groom there standing there and he's like, I have to sacrifice my bed. I have to sacrifice my money. I have to sacrifice my time. I'm sorry, guys. I really want to be with you, but I have to go home to my wife. If you feel that way, can you hear me? If you feel that way, you need marriage counseling. (laughs) There is no such thing as commitment and no sacrifice. Come with me to Genesis 
chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Creation of Adam has already taken place. We're picking it up in verse 18. And I want to dedicate this verse to my dear sister Karina. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Amen. I will make an help meet for him. As you should know by now, Karina is single. <laughs> and she made it very clear in her report. But do you know that this is a promise by God? The God that created each and every one of you, he said it is not good. And if he said it is not good for man to be alone, he also means that it's not good for woman to be alone too. Amen. Because he's not talking about men with men. <laughs> it is not good for man to be alone. I will make an help meet with him, he says. And then in verse 19, out of, the Lord, out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field, but for Adam, there was not found an helpmeet for him. As all the animals passed by, Adam, with that 100% brain power of his, he began naming all the animals. And then they all passed by, and he noticed a pattern going along. They're all two. But Lord, where's mine? How come there's only one of me? And God put the desire and the need for him to have companionship in his heart. And then it says in verse 21 that the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. Friends, in order for Adam to be committed to his new wife, what did he have to sacrifice? His rib. Do you think... Adam got up and he was unhappy with his operation. Give me my rib back. No, right? He even forgot that he was missing a rib because the woman in front of him was so beautiful that he went, wow, man. Commitment and sacrifice go hand in hand. Genesis chapter 12, moving along. Genesis chapter 12, looking at Abraham, the great father of our faith, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, Now the Lord God had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Friends. When God called Abraham at the very beginning, 
in order for Abraham to show and demonstrate his commitment to God, what did he have to sacrifice? His hometown, his friends, and all his relatives. And maybe there are some here that God might call you one day and you might have to leave this country. Well, to some it will be a good thing because many are trying to leave this country anyways. Not paid enough? Higher crime rate? I don't know what it is. But God might call you to leave the very ones that you love and the place that has been familiar to you for 75 years. There is no commitment without sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. The great hall of faith. Speaking about the man Moses. <clears throat> We're starting in verse 24. Hebrews 11 and verse 24, the Bible says here, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Friends, in order for Moses to become committed to God and to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, what did he have to do? What did he have to sacrifice? The pleasures of sin for a season. But if we were to put it in the tangible things, he had to step down from being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Did you know that inspiration tells us that Moses was the nation's pride? Moses was not some little unknown man in Egypt. He was regarded as for most people to be the next successor to Pharaoh. He was what Egypt put all their hopes on. This man will make our nation great. This was the sort of decisions that Moses had to deal with. He wasn't just leaving a job that paid him a thousand ringgit. He was the richest of all the inheritors there. He had everything at his disposal. But yet he never forgot the first 12 years of his home teaching. Parents, do never, never underestimate the importance of what you are doing from years 1 to 12. As pastors, we don't earn much, but you know what? My daughter is more valuable to me than anything else. If we have to be poor for the sake of training my daughter up, I will do it. Because this inspiration tells us no greater work has ever been committed to man than that of a mother. Praise the Lord for your mothers. Amen. Amen. Oh, come on. Amen. Amen. 
We are all here because of our mothers today. But Moses, he committed himself to God. And yes, he gave up the pleasures of sin, but he gave up the pleasures of everything that life had to offer in order to do what? To have a million people complain at him, want to stone him, blame him for every bad thing that they came across. But yet, he was still faithful to the God that had called him from the very beginning. Friends, there is no commitment without, without, come with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. This is shortly after Jesus has been baptized. He went up to the mountain and he was tempted of the devil as he was praying there for 40 days about the mission of the work that God had set before him. The devil came and tempted him. And Jesus had victory. And he comes down the mountain and the very first thing he does in verse 19, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, it says, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus calls Peter, James, John, Andrew, all these brothers and friends. And what's amazing is verse 20. And straightway they left their nets and followed him. Straight away. There was no commitment without sacrifice. Do you know what the pen of inspiration writes about Peter? Peter the fisherman. Peter was one of the disciples that left their nets straight away to follow Jesus. The pen of inspiration writes that him, he was, he was a married man. We know this because in Mark chapter 1, Peter, he, went, he brought Jesus to his house and he healed his mother-in-law. Peter was a married man. We don't know whether he had children or not. But the pen of inspiration writes that he had people under him that relied on him for their sustenance, for their livelihood. Did you know that? When Peter dropped all that he had, I'm sure he must have been thinking about it. He must have been praying about it. And when the call came, he was ready. But when he dropped his fishernets, he did not have a million dollars stored away for his family. They were relying on him to live. Friends, brothers and sisters, Maybe your commitment to God might one day cause you to have to leave your loved ones behind. I leave that with you and God. I'm bringing my daughter with me. But when we begin to place requirements on Jesus, then we shortchange what He can do for us in our life, isn't it? When we begin to say things like that, Lord, I'm not going to follow you until you make sure you provide for my family. So what did Jesus do? Now it's not written here in Matthew, but what did Jesus do when he called the fishermen? Do you remember? 
let down your net on one side, and what happened? The fishes were so much that the boat began to what? Sink. Do you know how much that would have been worth in his days? He probably could have stopped fishing for a whole year. And if it was me, I would have looked at the fish, I would have looked at Jesus. I said, Jesus, just wait. Let me run to the market first, okay? And sell all my fishes, and then I'll come and follow you. And sometimes, when Jesus comes along and He blesses us with financial wealth, we say, Jesus, just wait. Let me get totally established, and then I'll come follow you. But that was not what happened with Peter. He gave him the biggest catch of his life. And the test came. And immediately, the Bible says that they got to shore and they left everything behind. His father also. He had a good father. If it was my dad, he'd be like, where are you going? Clean the net first. But he even forsook his father. What's very interesting is when you go over, come with me to Matthew 9. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. You see, the call of the disciples were all very similar in how Jesus calls them. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. Speaking of himself, Matthew writes, And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Every time Jesus was looking for his disciples, he said, you, follow me, follow me, follow me. But do you know what's very interesting about the call of Judas? Come with me to Matthew 8, back one chapter, and we'll pick it up in verse 18. This is many believe to be the call of Judas, or rather the lack of the call of Judas. Verse 18, now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side, and a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Verse 20, And Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. What was Jesus essentially telling Judas? Judas, I'm poor. I have nothing. Are you sure you want to follow me? What was Jesus essentially telling Judas? It's going to require a life of sacrifice. Jesus never called Judas. But amazingly, yet he still poured out his spirit upon him. Judas had the power to heal diseases, to cast out demons. Yet he was never called of, Judas, uh, of Jesus. Jesus never rejected him. Amen? Friends, Jesus always has a work for everybody in his vineyard. 
But there is one man in the Bible that Jesus said very clearly, come, follow me. And yet, he never did. Let's look at him this morning. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And we're starting in verse 16. Matthew chapter 19. And when you get to this and you start reading it, you're going to say, oh, I know this story. Matthew 19 verse 16, the Bible begins. And behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what, shall, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Have a seat. Have a seat. Ethan, have a seat over there. So he says to this young ruler, Keep the what? Commandments. And he said unto him, Which? Well, Jesus, which one? And he said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, friends, Jesus quoted the Ten Commandments minus the first four, which is all to God, right? And he said at the very end, Love thy neighbor as thyself. But there is one commandment that he kept out. Which one was it? There was one commandment that he kept out. Okay, so follow me. Let's go back to verse 18. Thou shalt do no murder. What commandment number is that? Six. Thou shalt not commit adultery. What is that? Seven. Oh, good. You know your commandments. Thou shalt not steal. What is that? Eight. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Verse 19, honor thy father and thy mother. What commandment did Jesus not quote? Which is what? Thou shalt not covet. Now before we move on further, I want to define our typical understanding of covetousness. Because it says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, or his house, or his goods, or anything that is thy neighbor's, right? What does covetousness mean? I see what you have, and I want it so bad. Do you know that's covetousness? Do you agree with me? If you agree with me, say amen. amen. Okay, so you all agree with me for the most part. But do you know that covetousness is a very hard sin to detect? Because more often than not, it leads us to break one of the other nine commandments. I want what you have so bad, I'm going to kill you for it. Are you with me? I want what you have so bad that I will, earn, I will work extra days to earn extra money. I'll break the Sabbath just so I can buy it. Do you see that? Or I want what you have so bad, I'm going to steal it from you. See, covetousness for the most part involves the breaking of the other nine commandments. But here in Matthew... Jesus is about to give us an illustrative example of what covetousness really is. Verse 20. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? 
Verse 21. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be what? Perfect. We've been looking at this word for a few days now, isn't it? If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and... Jesus called this guy to be his disciple. If Jesus came to me today and said that, I'll be jumping for joy. <laughs> but do you know there was a requirement in order to be his disciple? It was the whole verse that we just read. If you want to be perfect, go and do what? Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven, and then what? Come follow me. Sacrifice, commitment. Do you see that? Friends, there is no such thing as commitment without sacrifice. This applies in our human relationships. This applies in your job. This applies in your religion. Commitment and sacrifice always go together. But when the young man heard the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus was not successful in calling all the disciples that he wanted. You would have thought a man that was so famous by now, that was so powerful with miracles and all these things, people would be clamoring, urgently wanting to be the next Jesus, right? To follow him and be just like him and be associated like him. You know, I'm his friend. Yeah, Jesus comes to my house and eats. But yet this man left sorrowful because he had what? He had great possessions. I told you, as we walk down this narrow road to heaven, we have to shed more. We have to let go of more things. Our life has to be simpler. Covetousness, what is it? This sort of covetousness is not what we typically find or think about when it comes to covetousness. Covetousness is when you have riches, but you're not willing to let it go for the sake of Jesus. Are you with me? Covetousness is the, the situation that we ourselves sometimes put ourselves in, that we are used to a certain lifestyle maybe. We have such a nice couch. I love couches. We have such a nice coffee table. We have such a beautiful car that when you go over the bumps, you don't feel it. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, drive a conchil. You're like, you've got to be kidding me. Why? What will people think of me? I've been driving a Mercedes all my life. 
And now I've got to drive a Malaysian brand car. They will lose their respect for me, God. How can I witness to these people? How can I be an example that you can be faithful and still have all these things? I don't know. I don't know whether Jesus actually reasoned with this guy like that or not. But he just said, sell what? Friends, are you willing to give up everything? Everything for Jesus. If you're not willing to do that, you're breaking the 10th commandment. This could have been the 13th disciple. And I believe that throughout this world today, many are the 13th disciple. They have a nice house. They have a nice car. They have a wonderful home and furnished with marble tops and granites and all these sorts of beautiful things. Glass this thick for your wall instead of cement. There's nothing wrong with that. But are you willing to give it all up for Jesus? That takes a lot of soul searching. It takes a lot of commitment. But you cannot commit to somebody you don't know. Isn't that right? You get married in a week after knowing this girl. I'm sorry. Everybody, even in the world, will turn their heads. What happened? Were you drunk? Right? You have to know the man that you're committing to. And I believe most of you, if not all of you, know this man. Because he was committed to us. And he sacrificed the whole of heaven just to be with you and me. This was how much Jesus was committed to us. The great controversy says, all of heaven was poured in this one gift, Jesus Christ. Do you know that everything that God could have given has been given? Did you know that? He cannot do anything more to save us. He's done all that he could. He gave the very best gift for you and me. Why? Because he loves us. He was committed to us. 4,000 years of sin never changed his commitment. 2,000 years later today, that God is still the same. But how about you? Friends, how much do you love Jesus? How much are you committed to him. Do you know God's call to us is not such, such a super high calling that we get scared of it? Do you know that? I've met many people, they look at me and they said, I never want to live a life like you. I said, Don't worry, 10 years ago, I never wanted to live a life like me, too. I just happened to slide into it. Before I share with you my story, I want you to come with me to a text found 
in Mark chapter 10. This is a similar passage from what we read in Matthew. Mark chapter 10, this rich young ruler has just come by and he's just walked away. And Peter, one of the disciples, he's like, well, I'm one of the disciples, so surely I must have this experience. Look at verse 28. This is after the rich young ruler walks away. And Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. <laughs> you can imagine Peter's chest was a bit puffed out even more. It's like, what he couldn't do, I could do. <laughs> what does Jesus say? Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive what? A hundredfold now. When? Now, in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands and persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Persecutions for another day. Let me deal with the rest. But Peter puffs out his chest and says, Jesus, we're not like him. I've left everything. And Jesus said, nobody has done that. Nobody. But then he gives a little blessing because if you do, you will receive how much? 100-fold. When? In this life. Do you know there was a man that saw this? He saw this promise. You know what he did? He borrowed 5000 from the bank. He put it all into the offering. And he never got a hundredfold. God is not a get-rich-quick scheme, okay? He is not the stock market. He knows our heart. But the blessing that comes for those that give everything is a blessing that you will see in this lifetime. Guaranteed. How do I know? I've experienced it. I graduated in 2000 from a scholarship course in Australia. Swinburne University, for those that have been to Australia before. They paid me for three years to study. Did you know that? It's pretty good. For three years, 1998 to 2000, I told you yesterday, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I know I didn't want to do medicine because I wasn't smart enough, right? I got into this course amazingly, scholarship course, paid me 9,000 Australian a year to study. By the end, when I graduated from university at the age of 20, I had paid off a Toyota Camry. I had a car already. I got a good job. Amazingly, it was the only job that I was able to get because my grades were so bad. But I got a good job in a good company, PricewaterhouseCoopers, as an IT consultant. Why? Because they did interviews and I knew how to talk. <laughs> they kind of looked at my grade and I guess they just accepted it. But I got into a good job. The Lord blessed me with all these things. Had a car paid off. Coming into work, I began to save, and I bought a, uh, an apartment in the city with my brother in Melbourne. And we lived right there for one year. 
life was great. I had extra cash to go and play the stock market. Everything was going well, financially. But there was one thing in my life that was troubling me. It was my job. I told you, I did IT because I like to play computer games. When you start coding to create computer games, it's not so fun anymore. I hated my job. I was the latest I could be to work and the earliest I could leave from work. I was not interested in corporate. I don't care about going to the bar and drink with my manager and, you know, whatever it was. I wasn't even interested in climbing the corporate ladder. But I hated what I did. And during this time as well, something else happened in my life. The company that I work for, they sent me to US from Australia to be trained for one month to six weeks. And it was then that I threw off everything I ever believed in. During my university days, my life was already backsliding. You know, I was brought up in an Adventist home all my life. And I began to eat pork, you know. We had these croissants with the pork meat in there. Oh, well, who cares? I couldn't be bothered taking it out. I just ate it along with it. At my business dinners that we had for our course, Drink, they serve wine, everyone's drinking. Okay, let me drink with them. Just don't drink too much so you can drive home. My life was already beginning to slip, but for some reason, my conscience never troubled me. Until I got to work. And they sent us off to Florida to be trained in, in IT stuff, to, to get us up to speed. And it was then that I stopped going to church. I played golf on Sabbath. I went to the Bay Hill, Inter I still don't remember the, what, what place it was, Bay Hill International. I watched Tiger Woods tee off on Sabbath. Drank some more. I brought my Bible with me, but I never opened it. And it was that year that the church elected me to be the youth leader. <laughs> I came back, and I was so embarrassed. I quit. Because I knew that it was hypocrites that drove people out of the church. And I said, God, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to feel like I'm going to church and I'm all good and holy because friends, it's so easy to play church. It's so easy. All my life, my mom never let me wear jeans to church. Had to go in a nice pants and a nice shirt. So growing up, it was very easy to go shirt, tie, whatever, to go to church. It wasn't a big deal. But in my heart, I was not converted. So I quit from being the youth leader. And I came back and I said, God, you're either real or you're not. I'm going to give you one year. Because I don't want to spend all my time going to church and not following you. I know where I'm going to end up in hell. So I might as well have fun going there. Are you with me? Because there are some of you young people that are here that you've grown up in church all your life and you come to church as a habit. Good habit. But you don't know who Jesus is. And when you stay home and you want to be rebellious, I'm not going to church today. You stay home but you still don't break the Sabbath. You still feel bad inside here. Do you know that? Because all these years you've been going to church and all of a sudden you don't go. You feel bad. Even though I was drinking, even though I was breaking the Sabbath, 
When I didn't go to church, I felt bad. And I came to my senses and said, look, this religion is either mine or I don't want it at all. Because all these years I went to church because of my parents. You know, when I was younger, 15 years old, I, I said, I don't want to go to church. My mom says, what? What did you say? <laughs> Get in the car. You go. When I wore jeans, she's like, go up and get changed. It wasn't even a choice. But these things at my young age helped me develop good habits. Amen for good habits. Amen. I'm not trying to attack them. My daughter comes in good dress clothes. If she doesn't go to church, I'll take the stick out. Same thing. By the way, I love my daughter. I don't abuse her. But the Bible says, don't spare the rod on your child. Amen. 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 Don't forget this lesson. But finally, I arrived in 2001. I wanted this religion to be real. I wanted to stop playing church. So I said, God, you're either real or you're not. I'm giving you a year. I'm going to study the Bible. Don't think I was some smart person all of a sudden. I did not read the Bible from cover to cover. I took the tapes of a sermon series of a pastor that had come and taught us. My mom bought all these tapes, I don't know why, but I put in a series on Daniel. And I began to listen to it. And I began to write all his words down like all his words were inspired. But when I had to, I paused, looked at my Bible, check it. This, is, this was the beginning of my Bible study, and should I say, my journey with Jesus. In half a year, I'd become vegetarian, and I'd quit going to movies. Another eight months, we started looking for training. I was meant to go to U.S. I took one year off from my work, 2002, January to go and study the Bible. And the school closed down. I said, what? I took off this time, what am I gonna do now? The guy said, well, go to another school. Okay, taking a month off, made the application. They said, what's your major? I said, I'm not, I don't have a major, I'm just coming here to study. And then after one year, I'm going home, back to work in my IT job. They said, no, you're from overseas. You have to choose a major. Okay, which is the one with the most Bible classes? Pastoral evangelism. Okay, I'll take that. I quit my job. And my parents thought I was crazy. I gave you such a good start in life. Look, you're doing so well. What are you going to do now? It's as if I let my dad down. <laughs> my mom said, just go. Just go. <laughs> Before it gets worse. Luckily, I have a supportive brother and sister. My dad is very supportive of what I do today. Do you know that? It is because of my father that I'm a pastor today. Because I told you, in 2003, at the end of 2002, I quit my job. I went to study at this theology school. And after four months, I knew that this is what the Lord was calling me to. 
I found the joy that I never had in my IT work. I finished, ended up finishing that degree, and I've been serving the Lord ever since. I met my wife. She said, uh, I don't want to be a pastor's wife, you know. I said, don't worry, I don't want to be a pastor. I was called to Taiwan to be a chaplain for a high school. Pastor Robbie was my pastor. He's still my pastor, even though he only likes to be called Robbie. He married us, my wife and I. I went to Taiwan. He was a pastor there, and he was leaving. He said, Ben, why don't you try pastoring? I said, no. No. <laughs> I don't want to be a pastor. He said, just give it a try. I said, no. I started making plans to come back to Malaysia, find an IT job, open a kindergarten, find some way to earn money, because my daughter was about, it was, she was on the way. She was cooking. <laughs> so I wanted to provide for my family. And my dad turned around and says, what are you doing? The same dad that says, what are you doing when I quit my IT job? He said, if you don't want to be a pastor, then why did you quit your IT job so many years ago? And I felt like that was the Holy Spirit <laughs> speaking to me. I kid you not. It was because of my dad, I gave pastoring a try. A try. And my wife gave pastor's wife a try. <laughs> I think she does her role better than I do mine. But the Lord confirmed me in this ministry when I was ordained in April of this year. I said, Lord, I've really only been seriously pastoring for two years. There are people that have been working as a pastor for eight, nine, ten years and they're still not ordained. What a blessing. And I'm totally amazed how God has led my life. Today, we don't even own a TV in our house. We cut our internet recently and just used our phones in Taiwan. Today, I'm living with my in-laws. I don't even have a home on my own. And people look at my life and say, you know what, I don't want such a life. Well, you are missing the joy of what comes with serving the Lord, amen? I tell you, there have been numerous blessings that God has given to me since I quit IT and started working for Him. Do you know in, in San Diego, my brother as my witness, and my wife as another witness, and his wife as a witness, we lived in a 10,000 square foot mansion for free. Four living rooms, a fountain inside. The master bedroom's bathroom is bigger than my bedroom today. When you follow God, you can never outgive Him. Amen? Amen? Just when you think this is it, poor life for the rest of the life, He gives you something that you could never even afford, no matter how hard you worked. The blessings of God have come real in my life. But friends, I did not follow Jesus for those blessings. I did not even know that Bible text when I left everything. I just wanted peace in my heart. I hated my job. 
and God gave me something fulfilling. I did not like the life that I was living, and He guided me in the right path, all because I said, Lord, I'm giving you one year. I just want to know who you are. I just want to know what a true Christian is. I'm giving you one year, and friends, that one year is still continuing. Every day, with every time I change job or, or I go to different places, new challenges come, and I'm still testing Him. Friends, are you willing to give God a serious try in your life today? Jesus says, if any man comes after me, he must take up his cross, his own cross, and follow me. There is a cross for us to carry if you want to follow Jesus. I'm not trying to just paint you all the good things. Because in Luke, the Bible tells us you need to count the cost of following Jesus. If you don't want to go all the way, then why are you even sacrificing a little bit? It's like this. If you're in a relationship and you know that you don't like this girl, why do you continue to spend money on her? Right? Just break it off, cry a bit, move on. But many people have one hand with Jesus and one hand with the world. And they're scared to let go of both or either. But friends, why not give it a try? Give everything to Him. What do you have to lose? You know, when I gave my one year to Jesus, you know what I had to lose? Nothing. Maybe just a bit of time to study the Word of God. I lost nothing. But if I never gave Jesus a try, what did I have to lose? Everything. Heaven. And the companionship of brothers and sisters here on this earth. And a 10,000 square foot mansion. <laughs> what do you have to lose? When you say, God, I'm going to give you everything today. 100%. I'm going to delete my game from that phone. I'm going to throw out everything that needs to be thrown out. I'm going to change everything that needs to be changed. Today, I'm giving you 100%. Friends, are you willing? Are you willing to give God everything that you have? If you are willing, please say amen. amen. Well, actually, stand up. If you are willing to tell God this afternoon, in 2013, before the clock ticks over, you're saying, God, I am not sure about my outcome, but I'm willing to give you 100% just to taste you to see whether you are good. Take a big bite of God. Psalms 34 verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. 
At this moment, as you remain standing, I'm going to get my brothers here to sing a song. But I really want you to think about this commitment that you're making for Jesus. I have another call. Please don't sit down. Please don't run off. But as they come up now and share this song, I want you to think about the commitment that you're making to Jesus in comparison to the one that He made for you many years ago. Please come. Oh, God, you 
Brothers and sisters, is God's love more than anything else you desire today? Maybe there are some here that don't know God enough, well enough to say, I really love Him. I'm not asking you to say that. I'm asking you whether you're willing to give God a serious try in your life today. Maybe there are some here that you've never read the Bible before. Or you, you haven't read it enough to say, yes, God, I'm willing to give you everything. But this morning, you're willing to say, you know what? I want to know more about this God. I want to know more about Him through Bible study because it's the only place that can give us the true picture of Jesus. If, you, if that is you, I want you to come forward at this moment. Praise the Lord. God bless you, sister. God bless you, brother. Come forward. Because I've known this Savior, but I don't know Him enough. Not enough to say, I'm going to give him 100%. So I want to study more. Come around to this side, to my right. Because I have another appeal to make. As I said so, these appeals are not for everybody. I want you to be earnest in your decision. The angels of heaven are writing these decisions down. I want you to be serious when you come forward. Life is too short to be playing around. It's too short. Is there anybody else that says, you know what, I've come to church. I've even been baptized. But somehow, somewhere in my heart, I'm not there ready to give that 100% yet. So I want to study some more. Is there anybody else? You just come forward at this time. There's a second group that I want to appeal to this morning. That you've been walking this Christian life for a while. And maybe like me, somewhere along the, the way, you're getting tired of what you're studying. You're getting tired of the work because this is not what life is meant to be all about. 
just work and work or studies and studies. But yet you're not sure where God is leading and guiding your life. You're at the crossroad where I was 12 years ago. And you'd like to take a break and say, Lord, you know what? I just want to know you. Because I know when I know you, you will guide me. And Lord, if you're guiding me back to my studies, I will go back with all my heart. If you're guiding me back to my work, to work in IT or whatever it was, that was my decision 12 years ago. Lord, if you're pushing me back to go to IT, I will put my whole heart into it and be happy doing it. But I just want to know that that's what you want me to do. And so you're willing to take a break to come out and study the Lord's Word, the Bible, and then get involved in His work. Friends, not everybody is called to be a pastor or a full-time missionary. There are Daniels in our midst who are corporate people, but they're still prophets. But I believe that many God calls to be full-time ministers for Him. And they're scared of what the world thinks. I'm not asking you to come forward to be a pastor or a minister or a full-time worker for God. I'm asking you to give God just one year of your life. You've heard the school and the plans that we have. I want to ask that you come forward. Is there anybody here that says, Lord, I am willing to give you one year of my life. And Lord, if you don't call me to full-time work, that's okay. I can go back. And I know your blessings will be even more abundant than had I just stayed. Amen? Is there anybody else you're saying, Lord, I realize now I've been playing with the world too much. I want to come out and I want to be serious with you. I'm giving you one year of my life in service. Anybody else? Friends, if you hear the Holy Spirit calling and you're one of those people that you, you're afraid to come forward, Come talk to me afterwards. The door is still open. But I want you to come forward because it takes serious commitment to move those legs of yours, no matter how scared you are. But you're doing it for Jesus, amen. Amen, brothers and sisters. You have the support of people here. No one's going to look at you funny because we're all in the same boat together, friends. We need a Savior, amen. But He loves us. And He's waiting. Mark chapter 9 says, Matthew chapter 9 rather, the harvest is ready. We don't need new methods. We don't need new tools. We need workers. 
We need workers that are connected with Jesus. Then our membership and our attendance will more than double. Amen? Is there anybody else that's willing to give their life just for one year? Come forward. Just one year, friends. Jesus gave his life. Just one year. Anybody else? If you feel the Spirit calling, friends, don't push it away. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Anybody else? God bless you, brother. God bless you. God bless you, brother. I don't know what the future holds for you, but I'm going to pray and put your lives in the hands of a God who knows the beginning from the end. And He will guide your life with this decision that you have made. Because it's only Him. It is only Him that governs the rules of kingdoms today. And He can take charge of your life. Amen. Let us pray. Father, Lord of glory, thank you so much for your Son. In spite of all that we've done, Lord, you still choose us to be your messengers. In spite of everything in what we've said, in our actions, in how we have lived, you are still giving us another chance again tonight. Lord, please be with my brothers and sisters here. For those that want to study the Bible deeper, May you satisfy their hungering and their thirst. And Lord, for those that have come forward to give you one year of their life, I pray that when this conference ends, that that fire would not die down. That as we follow up on it, Lord, that you would give them a blessed experience. And Lord, if you lead them back to their work and their studies, I pray that you pour out your blessing upon them abundantly. And for all of us here, Lord, we've stood because we want to give you everything. Everything that we have. All that we have. Why? Because Jesus is better than anything that we can ever own. Lord, may you give us a taste of your blessed Son again this day. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.